as always. It's so good to be with you. And how are we doing, church? All right. I like that. Beautiful day, isn't it? I'd like to share with you an email that we received through our website this, this week. We do have a portal where you can do that. But I want to set the stage first. All right. Our eighth graders, they uh, took a trip, their field trip this past week to Washington, D.C. And uh, so they're, prepared, they're trying to get to D.C., so I want you to think of it this way. The person who wrote this is somebody that was sitting on a, in a jet plane, a passenger headed to D.C., and 78th graders come into the jet. <laughs> what would you be thinking? That's, the, that's sort of the context. Now let me uh, give you a, here's a brief note about what the lady wrote. I wanted to send you a comment on the eighth grade class who visited Washington, D.C. this week. I happened to be on the same flight. They were all a joy to be around. They all did a wonderful job representing a Catholic school and should be praised for doing so. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? Doesn't that make you feel good? It sure does. Well, Today we're talking about the Emmaus experiences. Now I like to, we usually say road to Emmaus, but I like to call it the plural, the experiences, because the road's one, and then the other one is when they get to Mary and Clopas' house and they break bread together. Oh, how I wish I could have been there. You ever thought about that? Oh, I would love to have been there. Oh, how nice that would be. Here's something interesting you may not know. Who were the two disciples? Well, church tradition teaches us that they were named Clopas, or Cleopas, as we heard, and, and Mary. Those were the two, the wife of Clopas. Uh, they were making their way back now from, to, uh, from Jerusalem in order to go back to where they lived in Emmaus because uh, Clopas had to go back to work the next day. You know, he had to do that. Here's what's interesting. Clopas is thought to be the younger brother of Joseph, the carpenter. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? I think it is. And uh, the other one about Mary is the wife of Clopas. She's over there. Uh, there's one place in the scripture where it mentions Mary, the wife of Clopas. And where is it? It's when she's standing beneath the cross. Mary, the wife of Clopas. There's three Marys there. Mary, the mother Mary Magdala and Mary the wife of Clopas. Isn't that interesting? I think it is. So what that tells us is that as they really experienced the crucifixion of Jesus. That means that on the day that Jesus was crucified, both of them were, were on top of Mount Calvary. And you might say they had front row seats to everything that had taken place. Well, they'd been in Jerusalem for a week. That's typically about how long you stay when you're there for the Passover. And it's time for them to head home. Emmaus was probably about seven miles away, so that's a good little walking distance. But the scriptures are mindful to say that uh, Mary and, and Clopas were downcast. They were depressed, you might call it. They were drooping, uh, they were dragging, they were in a state of shock at everything that happened that week. Sort of like Purdue fans when Farley Dickinson beat the Boilermakers in the NCAA championship. That was a shock, wasn't it? I mean, how in the world could that take place? 
Jesus is dead. But they also mention in the scripture that there's something else that you need to remember. It was also the third day. Well, what's so big deal about that? Well, Jesus said he was going to rise on the third day, didn't he? That's exactly why. And at the point that, you know, they left, they left Jerusalem a little early that day, they didn't, they didn't know. They didn't know that Peter had, uh, that Jesus had appeared to Peter. All they knew was is that Jesus was dead. They'd heard a little chatter in the morning about the ladies that went to prepare his body, and he was gone. He was missing. See, they forgot something. Uh, the rule was when you would go to the uh, when you would go to the Passover feast, you couldn't take your cell phone. So they didn't have real time. They didn't have any real time. Nobody could call them and say, "Oh." We, did you know we saw uh, Jesus is gone? You know, Peter saw Jesus. No, they couldn't do it. All they knew was is that Jesus is dead. And as they're sort of drooping and dragging along the way, trying to get back to, get back to their home, a stranger approaches. Uh, he also appears to be coming from Jerusalem as well. And they didn't recognize that it was Jesus. So I like to call it, Jesus, a.k.a. the stranger. That's who he was. He was the stranger. But he asked them a good question, just like Jesus would do. You know, he loves us and cares. He says, why are you so depressed? What's going on? And they just sort of look at him, thinking, well, he just came from Jerusalem too. They said, what do you mean? Are you the only person in Jerusalem that doesn't know what happened with Jesus? I mean, that's the buzz that was going around in Jerusalem for that day. And uh, don't you know what happened? I thought everybody had heard that. You know, Jesus, we thought, was going to be the Messiah, the deliverer of Israel. And, uh, but now they crucified him, and he's dead. You didn't know that? Well, what does Jesus, a.k.a. the stranger, do? Well, interestingly enough, he chides them for a little bit. First thing he does is he chides them for not knowing what the scriptures teach regarding the Messiah. What does he say? He says, why are you so sleepy of heart? Why are you so groggy of heart? And in other words, he's saying, why aren't you more knowledgeable of the scriptures? That's a good question, isn't it? That's a good question for all of us here. I think it is. And what does he do? Woo! He begins to explain the scriptures. He begins with Moses. And he goes through the line of prophets in the Old Testament and the prophetic utterances that God gave them over the centuries that the Messiah would suffer, he would die, and on the third day, he would be resurrected. Oh, they loved it. I mean, uh, this, was, this was truly a wonderful thing. And I like what... Uh, Clopas and Mary said to each other after Jesus disappeared, what did they say? Powerful words, folks. When we think about the power of the gospel, were not our hearts burning within us? And while he spoke to us on the way and opened the scriptures to us, I love that. See, uh, here's what you've got to remember. The scriptures are very appealing to the soul. They're very appealing to the soul. Why is that? Because God wrote them. God handed them down. He inspired the, inspired the Holy Scriptures. And what happens is when your soul 
gets in sync with why it's here and what its meaning and purpose in life is in the first place, which is going to come from the Word of God, man, it'll wake you up. It'll wake you up. You just feel that resonating going on inside of you, don't you? Oh, I'm awake. God's Word, oh, it's so beautiful, and that's why when we read the Word of God, we, we see so much of that. See, they were, they were pepped up at that point. Don't you wish you could have been there to have heard Jesus? Wouldn't you like to have walked along with Mary and Clopas and heard Jesus talk about himself, the prophetic utterances? Well, they finally reached the fork. They come to the fork in the road. You got two choices. You can go to Mass or you could go down to the other village. And uh, Mary and Clopas had to make a decision. You know, we have to make choices about inviting Jesus into our lives. Did you know that? He won't do it. He won't force himself on you. So they had to decide, if we go to enough of this guy, you know, all we got to do is say, well, it's nice to meet you. We'll see you the next trip. Or uh, are we going to invite him to our house? Or what do they do? They decide to invite him. Powerful. What did Jesus say in Revelation 3.20? Behold, I stand at the door of your heart and knock. If anybody opens the door, I will come in and I'll have supper with them. That's what he says, literally. And that's exactly what he's going to do there. He's going to go into their house and have supper with them. So uh, it's a choice. And you have to choose. Do I want Jesus in my life or do I not want Jesus in my life? How much of Jesus do I want? That's a big question, isn't it? Well, now they're at the house. Uh, Mary and Clopas have fixed something to eat. They're reclining at table. And then Jesus does something. I love it when you were reading that, Mark. He takes the bread. He raises it. He blesses it. He breaks it, and he distributes it. What does that sound like? Holy Thursday, doesn't it? Isn't that what he did? That's exactly what he did. Same thing. And when they took a bite of it, what happened? Their eyes were open, and they saw Jesus. I think that's so wonderful. You know, Mary Magdalene also was in the same boat. Uh, she didn't recognize Jesus when he was in the garden until he spoke. And then she recognized his voice, didn't she? But uh, when we receive Jesus, when we receive the real presence in our lives, guess what? We wake up. We wake up, don't we? And we recognize it's Jesus. That's why the Eucharist is Jesus, why did you do this? The Eucharist is powerful. It's powerful in your life. It really is. I mean, that's the truth. I see Jesus now. I see Jesus. Don't you wish you could have been there to receive Jesus that night? Boy, I sure do. Well, he vanishes, doesn't he? Uh, but that doesn't vanish uh, the feelings that Mary and Clopas have. Actually, uh, you know, they had God's word in their heart. See, Jesus instilled more of God's word in their heart. They were carrying that. Also, they, they had Jesus in their lives through the Eucharist. 
Uh, it didn't slow them down. Uh, as a matter of fact, they were fired up. You ever been fired up about something? Well, that's what they were. They were fired up. And they, what they did is they looked at each other and they say, you know what, Clopas, in the morning, because they didn't have roads and they didn't, didn't have streetlights, in the morning, we'll head back down to Jerusalem and tell the disciples what happened. Is that what he did? No, that's not what they, what they do. They get up and they start running to Jerusalem. In the dark of night, no street lights, no nothing. We're talking about roads, dirt roads here. You know, uh, and they, why? Well, they want to go back and tell the disciples. What do they want to tell them? Good news. I got good news for you. We saw Jesus tonight. He's here. He's alive. It is the third day, and he is resurrected. You know what? I'm an old man, or getting that way. But I bet you what? If I'd been there, I would have run seven miles, you know, to Jerusalem as fast as I could. I don't think I'd have a bit of trouble. I wouldn't worry about potholes and turning my ankle, breaking my leg, nothing. Nothing could stop me, see, because I had good news good news to tell my friends and that's what you have as well you possess that good news as well don't you wish you could have been there get your running shoes on oh wait a minute let me think about that let's think let me think follow this thread with me and see what you think you chose today to come to Mass, didn't you? That's why you're here. Unless you're about six years old, Mom says you have to go. Right? You're here because you want to be here. You made a choice, didn't you? A decision, a conscious decision to be here. Think about this with me. This, follow this thread. Most weeks, when we come through those doors to Mass, we're beaten up. Life has beaten us up that week. <laughs> You know, what's on the news, what's going on in our life and stuff. Yeah, we're beaten up. And then when we hear the word of God, our hearts engage and they begin to set on fire. This, this good stuff, right? See, it's not the word of man. This is the word of God, isn't it? And that's why even if the priest is boring, or the priest is long-winded as he can be sometimes... It doesn't matter because God's speaking. Engage his word and your heart will burn like fire. And then what happens? Well, at the Eucharist, the real presence of Jesus is broken and it is distributed. And we feel that nearness within our souls, don't we? And then what? Well, after we've been renewed with God's word, with the Eucharist, with our fellowship, with our prayers, and all of these kinds of things, we are filled with joy, aren't we? And what do we do? We, headed, we head out of here to tell others what Jesus is doing in our lives. Right? See, mass, you know what mass means? I looked it up to verify Mass literally means sent. The mass is ended. What does that mean? It means church 
go. You're sent. What? To tell others what Jesus is doing in your life. What's Jesus doing in your life? Is it worth talking about? So here's the question. Is it possible, just possible, that the Mass is our Emmaus? Is it? What do you think? Well, absolutely it is. This is our Emmaus experience. I don't have to wish that I could have been there. I really don't. I am there. I'm here right now. I have his word. I have his bread, the bread of life. I have his people. I have the prayer. I'm there. And boy, I'm going to run out of here today and tell everybody I see the good news of Jesus. What do you think, church? That's why we're here today. That's why you made the decision to be here today. God bless you and I love you.